Hey everyone, welcome into the BT Powerhouse podcast. It is Thursday, December 8th. I am your host uh, and the manager of BT Powerhouse, as always, Thomas Bendit. We have a ton to talk about. Um, I think this is our first podcast in a week or two. Um, for, so first, sorry about that. You know, do, do apologize. We like to try to get at least one out a week during the season, but you know, uh, stuff happens. <laughs> so uh, again, a lot to talk about. We're going to get into some of the Big Ten ACC stuff. We're going to get into uh, Illinois basketball specifically. We'll have uh, Brad on from the Champagne Room. That's going to be fun. A uh, lot to talk about in them, kind of a roller coaster ride of emotions. Um, and, and again, you know, just the general progression of the season. Uh, it, it's been very crazy. Um, <laughs> but uh yeah, so I mean, a lot to talk about, a lot of exciting stuff to talk about, um, and uh, as I mentioned, we're going to have Brad from the Champagne Room on um, in a couple minutes here to chat about Illinois basketball, which I which I think is going to be a lot of fun, but I do want to start with just the old uh, Big Ten ACC Challenge stuff. I want to start with some big picture stuff. I want to dive into, uh, I'm not necessarily going to do a, a game-by-game recap here, just because I think most people know what happened. And as well, I think most people know that um, some of the games aren't necessarily as significant as others. You know, some are, uh, but you know, we'll, uh, we'll dive, we'll dive into all the topics. Um, but uh, yeah, so let, let's, let's start with it. The big, the big takeaway here, big, big picture um, stuff. The Big Ten ultimately goes down. Um, the ACC wins the the series nine to five. This is the first time the ACC has won since I believe 2012. Um, 2008. Sorry, sorry. No, the 2012 was a tie. But uh, so th- these are your last few years of the Big Ten ACC Challenge. This year, as I mentioned, ACC wins nine to five. Uh, arguably the most dominant series win um in a decade but we'll we'll save that for a second but two year the last two years the big 10 has won uh eight to six has been the the uh winning margin the last two seasons two before that were ties then it was a three-year big 10 winning streak um and then you get back to 2008 which is the acc's last win they won it six to five um and notably about that is 2008, which was the last time the ACC won, um, the ACC had never lost a series. They had 10 straight wins. So 1999 through 2008, the ACC won every single year. Uh, Some of those in absolutely dominant fashion. Uh, 2003 and 2004, those are seven to two deficits. Um, Big, big dominant win. Um, But a lot to take take away, I, I guess is the big point. But the ACC wins. Big Ten struggles. We'll dive into a couple of those games, um, but we do have a, a couple of people joining us. Um, we do have Brad on from uh, the Champagne Room. Brad, how's it going? Evening, Thomas. How's it going, my friend? <laughs> going, going great. Um, and then I also believe we have uh, Josh on from from our own site. Uh, Josh, how's it going? Or Casey? Do we have Casey? One of the two. Um, I guess not. All right. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I mean, we have uh, 
we have Brad on to, to chat about Illinois. I'll hold off on the, the overall Big Ten ACC stuff for a little bit later, um, just so we, we don't inconvenience uh, Brad here at all. Um, Brad, let, let, let's start from the top. Uh, what what would your take takeaways, I guess, from the Big Ten ACC challenge, uh, just overall, and then um, from an Illinois perspective? Obviously, they pick up the big win over uh, NC State. Boy, how underwhelming has Ohio State basketball been? That's been kind of the bigger <laughs> takeaway, at least from a Big Ten standpoint. I mean, um, per, I, my, it seems like Matt Painter and the Boilermakers are kind of abiding by the Tom Izzo strategy of schedule a bunch <laughs> of really hard games at the beginning of the season at neutral sites or road games, get you kind of greased up for mm-hmm. the tournament. Um, and then, uh, you know, come March, they'll be, they'll be ready to go. And, and they look, they look poised to, to potentially make a run later in the season. So it was good to see the, you know, to see the Boilermakers kind of schedule some, some tougher games early, but that Louisville game was a bit of a heartbreaker. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, and can we all just agree that we all hate Duke? Uh, that just, oh, <laughs> and I know it's Sparty and it's Izzo and they're four and four now or something. And I just, I get it. But it's still Duke. Like, come on, man. Oh, that was so. That was a little. Uh, that was a little frustrating. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, so I guess uh, jumping into Illinois here, um, we'll we'll get to some of the more recent games. But I, I did want to start with the ACC Challenge stuff. Uh, they do pick up the win over NC State. Uh, it's at, at the time, which again, we're I want to say a week, maybe two weeks removed now. So a little delayed on the podcast. So sorry about that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, They do pick up their first win in a couple weeks at the time. They knock off NC State, who most consider a semi-respectable team. Uh, what were your takeaways from that game, and, and how valuable was that win at the time? Oh, that was an absolutely massive win for the Illini. You're, you're coming off of – First of all, you're coming off of a, a game at home against arguably a very good Winthrop team that will very likely be um, in the uh, in the NCAA tournament come March uh, out of the big sky. But uh, losing to them at home in overtime, and I understand it's overtime, but the, the John Gross press conference after the game was something along the lines of, well, well they had a – had a more experienced team and, and things of that nature. I mean, John, you've got two 60-year starters on your team in Thorne and Abrams. What are you talking about? They're more experienced. It was <laughs> it was it was extremely frustrating um, for for being such an experienced team. It, it didn't we just to, to to have the Illinois come out as flat as they did was was very frustrating at home, especially you're you're at home against a a non-power five you know conference team sort of a deal. I mean, I can I can again, respect Winthrop by nothing to take away or, you know, not needing to take away from them. And I think their, their point guard ended up dropping like 40 points or something like that, that night. I mean, he had a great game, but, but you're, you're still a big 10 basketball team playing, which playing at a, at a, at a stadium that at one point was one of the toughest places to play in the big 10. I think the only other, the only two stadiums that had the, the longest two winning records in the Big Ten from 1991 until 2009, I believe, was uh, the Cole Center and uh, uh, the, the, what the, it started with, the, at the time, the Assembly Hall in Champaign-Urbana, now the State <laughs> Farm Center. Um, the, uh, so clearly it's the name change. That's what you know, fans of, you know, we get, we, 
we've got our what uh, what our local radio stations here in Chicago got to call the downstate goobers, but the uh, but the townies all you know the state farm center thing. Maybe we should change it back to assembly hall. We'll win games more. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but you know that that Winthrop game was just very frustrating. Again, you would expect the team that at least had a lead um, late in the game to close them out, and we never did. And then you go on the road to Brooklyn. Um, to play, well, I think they were ranked 19th at the time, West Virginia. But uh, but essentially, the Bob Huggins full-court press West Virginia that everybody knows is going to happen. And it looks like we never prepared to play in that game from the drop of the ball. I, that was that mm-hmm. was probably of the of the three straight losses to to Winthrop, West Virginia, and to Florida State. The the West Virginia game, I would say. Um, even though it was our toughest opponent and the, the toughest game the Illini had to play, that was definitely the most underwhelming performance by far. Um, they were never really in it. I believe they turned the ball over a total of 22 times in that game. Um, just it, very fundamentally not in that game. And again, gross in the press conference. Well, we've seen this team since August. We've been preparing since August. It looked like they've been preparing since that Tuesday. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Call it the yeah. turkey hangover or whatever it is. You know, I forget the chemical that's in turkey that makes you sleepy. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know it offhand, but um, but yeah, certainly. Yeah, you know, we're, it, we're basketball writers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it it was a horrible stretch. I mean, uh, Winthrop. I I think you can argue, especially looking back in uh, hindsight. You know, maybe they're a little bit better than people thought at the time. You know, maybe that isn't as bad of an upset as we thought, especially with it coming in overtime. Um, and, you know, Florida State, they're a good team. I mean, they took it to a, a Minnesota unit that, that took, looks revitalized. Um, they've knocked off Winthrop. Uh, they've knocked off a few teams here. Uh, but West Virginia, yeah, I mean, Illinois was dead from the tip. I mean, it, that mm-hmm. was just a, just a complete uh, dead effort uh, from start to finish. And, and it was really disappointing um, to see. But Illinois gets back on track now. You know, they've knocked off NC State. They knocked off VCU last Saturday. They take care of business yeah. against IUPUI on Tuesday. A little bit testy for a bit, but they end up winning by uh, nearly double digits, eight points. Um, so where are things sitting for Illinois right now? Because they're 7-3, and three, but the losses have been bad. Uh, the wins have been all right. Uh, wh- where are things looking for the Illini right now? From a fan standpoint, the biggest thing is the team has yet to prove to us that they can pull away late in a game. Even the, the North Carolina State game, I know that, that fans on Twitter were, were talking about, even with two minutes left in the game and the Illini had an 11-point lead, you know, a week before that game, they had given up an 11-point lead or whatever it was with two minutes left against Winthrop. So there's some trust issues going on there. Um, we're, we're waiting for kind of that that late game surge, you know, a couple of three pointers in a row sort of a thing, or you get a couple of stops on defense, something to get a wave of momentum in your uh, side of the court late so that, you know, opposing teams start to take time out. They try to stretch the long part of the game. And that's where dynamic players like a Malcolm Hill can step in and, and close the game. Illinois really and in, in for whatever reason, it started kind of in the back half of Bruce Weber's tenure in Champaign, and, and Gross has never really been able to provide this as well. Kind of, again, that put your foot on the gas, you know, put your, put your foot in their throat and win the game, that sort of a mentality. So we're definitely looking for that when it comes to, to us having the lead. Um, the other thing is turning the ball over. Uh, Illinois right now has 
absolutely struggled in the in the turnover department. I've got my my stat sheet pulled up here. Um, we're averaging 14 turnovers a game, and sure, you've got a couple of big ones in there, like the West Virginia game, things of that nature. But you still are not taking care of the basketball. Um, you saw in the VCU game, uh, the Rams went into a little bit of kind of a, a half court press late in the game. Um, and Illinois was struggling to get the ball in. Uh, you saw Jalen Tate turn the ball over two consecutive times on inbound passes. You saw Michael Finke getting stuck in a double-team trap in the backcourt. You need to coach your players to get the ball across the timeline. I, that's you, it's something so fundamental and something that I know that Illinois fans right now are harping on for, for gross and the coaching staff. That's fundamental play. That's not talent of, of players or, or the quality of team that you have put together. That's a fundamental and a coaching issue. So we'd like to see that change. Um, but in terms of where we're at in the season, I know, Thomas, you and I had talked in our season preview about Illinois and their non-conference schedule, um, mm-hmm. and we both agreed that about three losses would be okay for the season. By the way, shout out, check us out. I think it was episode 77 or 76 <laughs> of the, uh, of the BT Powerhouse podcast, people. All about the shout outs. Um, but in that, in that season preview, what we had talked about was the – you're probably going to lose to West Virginia. You're probably going to lose to either a VCU or a Florida State. Florida State ranked VCU could have very well have been ranked um, going into that game. But there's one more out there. And unfortunately, I still think our quote-unquote dumb loss is going to come to the BYU Cougars at the United Center in Chicago. Why we don't play well at the UC, I don't understand. But that seems to be a constant variable. But maybe the Winthrop game was our stupid loss of the non-conference schedule, and you end up winning these next three games in a row. Um, Central Michigan's got a a dynamic point guard. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I didn't write it down, but he's coming off of a 40-point game Uh, uh, for the Chippewas. Yeah, and he's leading the uh, at five foot nine. He's leading the na- or, um He's definitely leading the MAC. I think he's the third best three-point shooter in the country. Um, mm-hmm. This is similar to kind of that shorter point guard dynamic. You know, if you're playing NBA 2K17, he's your playmaker, man. You know, his playmaker stats are all the way up. So you've got to make sure that you can contain him on the offensive part of the floor. Um, The other thing I'd like to see from an Illinois standpoint, and maybe this is just more a little bit individual, um, Jalen Coleman lands specifically. Right now, he's the 56th. Uh, or he's number 56 in terms of number of three-point shots he's put up during games. Um, He's averaging, uh, let's see, what is it? Um, I don't have that figure in front of me, but um, he's averaging almost 10 three-point attempts per game. And what we saw at the back half of the VCU game, which I thought was very promising, was JCL getting into the lane a little bit. Um, a player who's struggling for the Illini right now is Michael Finke. He's only scored six points in his last four games, which if you consider last season, Finke was one of the dynamic scorers for the Illini. You need to have somebody other than Malcolm Hill step up. Yes, Tracy Abrams has filled that role in some instances. Uh, LaRon Black has been nothing short of fantastic in the supporting role um, in our front court, which has been great, and we can talk about him later. But there, there needs to be somebody else in the backcourt that steps up on a more consistent basis. Uh, Tejan Lucas is kind of jumping in and out of a, a starting position at a point guard or at a guard position. So maybe you see him, him in, 
myself, I am not the biggest Jalen Tate fan. Neither are most fans that I've seen on Twitter. Uh, but maybe you move him out, you bring a Lucas in, or maybe you play with Black and Thorne um, to uh, to start games a little more consistently in a starting position. You don't bring Black off the bench. It, you need to find some kind of a variable here in these next three games to, one, make sure you can uh, limit a dynamic scorer's performance at a point guard position or a shooting guard position. Um, again, shout out Central Michigan, that Chippewa's uh, – uh, guard is unreal um but then you go to byu in champ or in uh, chicago and then you play missouri if you can get out of these three games with three wins heading into conference play i think the illini might be closer to being back on track to the season um as to where we thought they would be at this point Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm generally on on page with you. Also, Central Michigan, I'm I'm definitely gonna hype them up. I have a I have a good buddy who uh, I've worked with for the last couple of years who who's an assistant over there. So really excited about about what the the chips are doing um, mm-hmm. over there in Mount Pleasant. But but yeah, I, I think Illinois is certainly back on track. You know, you can't you can't criticize these last three wins much. You know, two against arguably top fifty or certainly top fifty ish competition. Uh, and IU PUI is always dangerous. I don't care what people say. Um, they that's a that, that's a very dangerous mid major year in and year out. I I know the record doesn't necessarily speak that way, but they play a lot of people tough if you actually jump sure. into some of their games. But but regardless, um, yeah, I I definitely think Illinois has started to get back on track. So um, before I let you go, Brad, um, we only have you on here for a little bit, but I wanted to ask you the money question: Are they going to make the tournament? Oh, can I get back to you in three games and we'll, we'll get a more definitive answer? Um, that's a, uh, that's a trial call. Let's get back on the podcast. No, I, I definitely think they can. Uh, these, these next three games are going to be a very telling sign as to how much they've learned over the, the slate of the non-conference schedule. And again, if you can find another dynamic scorer other than Malcolm Hill um, to, assi- to, a, uh, to associate on the offense or to help out on the offensive side, um, also, we've got arguably four of the four better big men in the Big Ten, um, and our our defensive rebounding and offensive rebounding stats aren't even showing up uh, in conference. We have no individual players that are leading in rebounds, which is horrible. You've got four chances at it, and Maverick Morgan's not in. He's a good bench player, but you, you need to find somebody who can play a little more defensively, try to, uh, again, try to contain a, a dynamic score. So I think just little pieces like that, and most of them may be individual efforts. And if uh, if coach can finally teach the team how to break a full-court press, oh, um, which we're not salty about at all, um, I definitely think that that's, a, that's an opportunity for the Illini to grow and, and hopefully make a 10-8 a, a in-conference run and, and definitely set themselves up for a, for a, tournament, uh, for a tournament appearance. Well, you heard it here first. The Illinois is making the tournament. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, no, talk, yeah, talk, to me, talk to me in three games. You know, everybody have some leftover Thanksgiving. If you have leftover Thanksgiving, you should probably throw that out, people. I'm yeah, just saying. Yeah, it's been a while. But, but Brad, thanks oh. for joining us. And everyone, check out Brad's stuff on the Champagne Room. Thanks again, Brad. Appreciate it, Thomas. Thanks a lot. <laughs> thanks again. Um, as a reminder to everyone, that was Brad uh, from the Champagne Room. Puts out great stuff. That whole site puts out excellent content if you're an Illinois fan. But it looks like we finally have our technical difficulties solved, and we got Josh on. Uh, Josh, how's it going? 
or we don't. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so more technical difficulties, always, always fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm going to jump back into some of the Big Ten ACC talk. Uh, as you heard from Brad, I, I really agreed with a lot of what he said. I think this next three-game stretch is going to be monumental um, for Illinois basketball. They get Central at home. They get BYU in Chicago and then Missouri. I call them Missouri. Uh, it's actually Missouri. But they get them on a neutral court. They win those three. I think they're right in that NCAA tournament hunt again. Um, and then they open Big Ten play with Maryland on the road, Ohio State at home, Indiana on the road, Michigan at home, Maryland at home, Purdue on the road, Michigan on the road. Jeez, brutal opening stretch, man. Uh, it's going to be difficult, but um, I think they can do it. Let's see if we can get Josh on here and get this working. Uh, Josh, can you hear me? Uh, it, it looks like it's, it's going to be a no-go, unfortunately. Um, Josh, can Yay. Hey, we finally got it solved. Uh, Josh, how's it going? (laughs) It's pretty good, man. I was, I was saying before, I'm still measuring that first down spot from a couple weeks ago. I didn't, I didn't believe the true spot. I'm still worried Uh, about that. Too painful for me to even talk about. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but Josh, I I don't know how much you got to hear earlier, but uh, got into a little of the big 10 ACC talk, some Illinois talk, but I want to get back into the big 10 ACC stuff. You know, the big 10, loses its first Big Ten ACC challenge since 2008. Um, Certainly its uh, worst performance, at least in a win-loss record uh, aspect, since 2007. Um, What did you make of it? How big were these struggles? Um, And is it time to hit the panic button on the Big Ten? Um, No, I definitely don't think it's time to hit the panic button. I mean, the Big Ten ACC challenge is weird. I mean, they're, I think, two of, if not the two best leagues in the country. Um, it's one of those things where you're going to uh, random places and you're playing really tough games. Um, I mean, the game that obviously I had my eye on it, and you did as well was that Michigan-Virginia Tech game, um, which was really fluky uh, at the end down the stretch. That was definitely a bummer. Um, no, I mean, look, I think the Big Ten is still really top-heavy. Um I heard a little bit of Brad talking about Illinois. Um, I schedule. They have they play a bunch of really good teams at the beginning, and then uh, the teams aren't as good at the back end. But the question is, how good are teams between, let's say, five and eight or five and nine going to be? Um, you had a team like Michigan State, um, and while they competed, you know, they, they played it. Miles Bridges is out for a couple weeks, and, and a guy like Nick Ward is really good, but it's if Michigan State isn't a great team, then maybe you have three elite teams in the league. I would say Indiana, um, Indiana, Wisconsin, and uh, who am I missing at the top? And Purdue. Purdue. And I think those are, yeah. And so those are your three best teams. You know, Michigan State's probably competing for that four, five, six range. But, you know, I, I think the ACC is a better league. And, and you have really good teams like North Carolina, who, who lost to Indiana, but still a really good team, and Duke. Um, but I think it's probably the deepest the league has been in a while. I was looking at uh, Joe Lenardi's bracketology today, and he had 10 ACC teams in, which is two-thirds of the league. So, I, I mean, I, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd start with, uh, you know, we did a little roundtable, uh, all the BT powerhouse writers, or at least a good hunk of them, uh, the day or two after the Big Ten ACC Challenge. And I always start with this. Anytime I talk about the results, uh, 
that first off, the win-loss record sometimes can be very misleading. And the first thing to start with is the Big Ten and ACC do not have the same number of teams. The Big Ten has 14. The ACC has 15. This is something, you know, I think most people know, but they don't really think about. Um, So the ACC automatically gets to withhold one team from the competition. And how the ACC has done it uh, since they, I want to say Louisville is the last team they added, but until they got from uh, when they got to 15 teams, they have consistently, whoever's projected last in their league, that's the team who they don't send to the Big Ten ACC Challenge. So the ACC just inherently from the start is automatically at an advantage. Now, is that a huge advantage? Probably not, but it is, it is an advantage. I mean, think about over the last uh, couple of years if the Big Ten could have withheld Rutgers. Um, you know, it, it changes the whole dynamic. Uh, but then, then second, you know, the locations are so, so important. I mean, it, it, for instance, if you watch the Michigan State-Duke game, uh, really a very competitive game, much more competitive than I think most people thought. Uh, if that game's in East Lansing, you know, maybe Michigan State pulls off the upset in that game. But, you know, it's in Cameron, they lose because nobody ever beats Duke in uh, Cameron, certainly a non-conference play. Um, same with Purdue and Louisville. Uh, Purdue goes on the road. They actually nearly come back uh, and, and knock off the cards. But, again, it's on the road. They drop that game. And, I mean, I, you know, there are certainly cases where the road team won. But the location oftentimes in these 50-50 matchups can can be incredibly important so I I would just throw that all out there just to say you know sometimes the win-loss record isn't that representative of how the leagues compare now having said that I certainly think the ACC is better this year I think to argue otherwise would just be kind of asinine at this point um, without you know taking off or putting on a homer hat but uh, I, I think the Big Ten is still a quality league I still think they're in play to put a lot of teams in the NCAA tournament um, I think a couple of the losses over the last couple of weeks have been concerning, but uh, there are still some big non-conference games in the next week or two. And, you know, we'll see, you know, for, for as much as, you know, fans might be frustrated by, you know, Maryland's loss to Pittsburgh or Ohio state and Iowa's upsets over the weekend, you know, you do have the stories like Rutgers who has really turned it around, or at least on paper um, has turned it around. But so I, I, I wouldn't say I, I'm with you. I, I wouldn't say hit the panic button. Um, but I do. Um, I do want to. What do you think about oh, the, the middle, of the, the middle of the league? Um, you know, looking at at the results. Um, you know, you have teams like Iowa, um, like Penn State, like Northwestern. Um, I feel like you're going to have a lot of these teams that are going to finish anywhere between ten and eight and eight and ten this year, more so than in years past. Do you think that's true, or do you think that they they all look pretty similar just to start the season? You know, I. I came into the season thinking that the Big Ten didn't have any elite teams and it just had a a really good middle and like upper middle, I guess, whatever you want to call it. I thought they would have a ton of teams in the NCAA tournament hunt, but not a ton in the Final Four and National Championship hunt. Um, I think in some aspects that has proven true because I I think that middle group is uh, ginormous this year in the Big Ten because – uh, yeah. To me, once you get beyond those top three teams and then you exclude Nebraska, Rutgers, and Penn State at the bottom, uh, and, you know, maybe Iowa. I'm, I'll withhold my judgment on Iowa until Tyler Cook's back. But uh, I would say all those teams, to me, there isn't a ton of gap 
uh, in between them. And I could really see them progress in any way. Uh, so, I mean, I, I, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think every single night in Big Ten play is going to matter, um, which is going to make it great for the fans. But, uh, yeah, it, it's going to be messy. At least <laughs> that I, I'm kind of with you on that. Um, but I, I did want to jump in, um, just jumping into some of these teams. Uh, we're going to have another guest on a little bit later to, to get into Michigan State a little bit, uh, one of the, the bigger stories of the season. But let's start with the top. Uh, you mentioned who you think are the title contenders. Um, wh- why, don't, why don't you go through your, your analysis a little bit on that? Uh, why do you think they're the contenders? And who, who do you have as your top team in the Big Ten right now? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think right now it, it has to be Indiana at the top. Um, I just love the the way that they spread the floor and they shoot the ball. Um, someone should tell Thomas Bryant that he doesn't need to take four or five three-point attempts a game and he should just try to dunk on the rest of the Big Ten. But if he figures that out, uh, his shooting percentage will skyrocket back up to like 67 or 70% again. Um, so for me, they're number one. Um, I think I have Wisconsin at two. Um, they struggled at Creighton, obviously. We now know that Creighton is a really, really good team. Um, but they've looked really good. Um, I love off. I mean, they have the same nine guys uh, or eight or nine guys they had last year, and they bring in uh, Trice, I want to say, their point guard, who's been outstanding for them. Um, look, I mean, they, they, they know how each other plays. Um, when you have a, a trio of a core of, of Nigel Hayes and Bronson Koenig and Ethan Happ, I mean, that right there, you can argue, is the best trio. Uh, in the Big Ten, you know, I still have questions about someone like Zach Showalter and Vito Brown. Are they going to be good enough night in, night out to actually compete um, and have Wisconsin at the top at the end of the Big Ten at the end of the year? Um, I have Purdue at three, I think, you know, with Haas and Swan again. Um, and then you have guys like Vince Edwards in the backcourt. Um, I think they're still really good. Um, and then from there, you know, we were talking about this. It kind of gets it's really murky. Um, you know, it stretches at times this season, and, and and obviously at times it hasn't been this way, but I think Michigan you can make a case for being number four. If Michigan State gets healthy, they could be number four. Um, so I know both Michigan and Michigan State fans will like to be compared to one another, um, but I think you can make a real <laughs> argument that, that, that the two of them are right there. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I guess Maryland. Um, I think a really interesting story with Maryland will be the development of Kevin Herter. Um, If he can kind of develop into a really good player, I think that Maryland team gets a lot better. But from what I've seen, it looks like a lot of the Bella Trimble show and four guys kind of standing around with their hands on their head and not sure what to do. Um, So I think that's a really interesting storyline to see what happens there. Um, And Northwestern. I mean, Northwestern has a lot of pieces. I think the injury to Derek Pardon is a big deal. Um, I don't know much about their backup center, but, you know, when you have a guy like Brian McIntosh running the show and Vic Law, Sanjay Lumpkin, and, and the Cavs have been competitive for the last couple of years. Is this the year they, they break through and, and get over the hump? I'm not sure. Um, but, yeah, but you can make a real case for having Northwestern at seven. Um, and then I don't know. I mean, Iowa doesn't really <laughs> jump off the page to me. They've had a terrible start. Penn State hasn't looked great. Uh, they lost a terrible game to Albany. Um, I don't know. What about you? Do you, do you see anyone that I missed? Maybe Minnesota, but anything glaring? 
Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I'll start with you know I don't I don't want to dive into every team and I I don't want to certainly don't want to just repeat everything you've said because I I agree with okay. a lot of it. Um, I'm with you on the top three teams. I mean, until until someone proves otherwise, I think it's Indiana, Purdue, and Wisconsin. I mean, you can get into obviously you know Indiana drops to Fort Wayne, that's a disappointing one. You know, Wisconsin kind of gets blown off the map uh, against North Carolina. Um, they blow that game against Creighton. Um, and then Purdue, you know, that sort of mixed effort against Louisville. But I, I think, you know, through what each team has played nine to 11 games or so, I, I think it's apparent those are the top three teams. Um, right now, I, I think Indiana's the best team. However, the asterisk I would sort of put on there is uh, we haven't really, you know, I, I always caution people don't overrate Indiana based on these big time home games because assembly hall is like impossible to win in, in those games. Um, and I'm not, I'm not talking about just a game against the highly ranked team. I'm talking about a big name program in a prime time game. It is so difficult to win there. And, you know, uh, just look at Roy Williams comments after they, uh, uh, North Carolina lost to Indiana. He's like, yeah, I wish North Carolina fans would come out like this a little yeah. more often. So, so I mean, I think that's telling. And you've seen it. You know, Indiana can be kind of a so-so team. Um, and they will knock off someone huge at home in one of those types of games. So I, I want to wait. I want to see a little bit more of them, particularly, you know, they get Butler on a neutral court coming up. Um, and then, you know, jumping into non-comp or on the road, uh, we're going to have to wait until January to see Indiana in some legit road games. Um, to, that, but, to that Indiana point, do you think maybe that's why they've had struggles in the NCAA tournament, that perhaps they've been so good at home and they've they've won the games they're supposed to win on the road, but when they get to a neutral site, it's a totally different venue and, and they, don't just, they just don't play as well? See, I, I don't necessarily think that Indiana is like – I don't want to use the term and like call them a fraud or something like that, because I, I don't believe that. Um, I, I just think that they go, you know, like say they're an eight out of a 10, which I'm not saying, but you know, say they're an eight out of a 10 in team talent and uh, performance, whatever you want to call it. When they have sure. one of those big, big games, they're like a 9.5. Like you have to be perfect to knock them off in, in one of those games. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just, I think they kind of lower more to where they are in reality when they have, they have those neutral court games. And, and certainly, I, I mean, I, I, I'm generally of the perception that road games are tough, so I'm not going to kill people for losing on the road. But, uh, but yeah, so, I mean, I, I certainly think that sometimes that affects them, but uh, so hard uh, <laughs> to, uh, to win an assembly hall um, in those, in those types of environments. But um, the, so I, I, I would say that I have Indiana at a cautious number one, but I really want to see them away from home a little bit more before I, I jump in, you know, uh, at first in, into that prediction. Um, but moving on to, to a couple of the other ones here, um, as I mentioned, Wisconsin and Purdue to me are, are pretty close. But into that next group, I agree with you. You know, you can make cases for Michigan, Michigan State, uh, Minnesota, Maryland. You can even make a case for uh, – Ohio State, even after that loss um, to Florida Atlantic uh, earlier this week, I think you can make cases for all those teams at number four. And, and it's really just your perception and what you like. But two teams I did want to touch on, though. First, Maryland. Um, I, I feel like only Maryland fans are talking about this, but Maryland is 9-1 and one right now. 
Um, and it is like the craziest nine and one I I've seen since maybe Maryland a couple years ago, but uh, like every game is by single digits. Um, they had that crazy win against Oklahoma state last weekend. They beat Kansas state by a point. They knock off Richmond in overtime. Every game is right down to the wire. They had that Georgetown win at the, um, at the buzzer pretty much uh, early on. And, and because of that, Maryland is now rated uh, number seven right now in Ken Palm's luck uh, rating. So I, I want to, I wanted to talk about Maryland a little bit. Um, Josh, what, what do you think? You think Maryland is kind of a, I, again, I don't want to use the term fraud, but you think their, their nine and one record is a little bit soft due to these close wins? Um. Yeah, I mean, definitely to some extent. I think it's the Indiana argument. You can't really say that they're great until they prove that. I'm looking at the schedule now. I, I honestly hadn't done much of a deep dive, but they beat Towson at home by five. They beat Stony Brook. They beat Richmond. They lost to Pittsburgh. Yeah, Oklahoma State by one. Howard. I'm not looking at the schedule <laughs> and, and I'm totally – no, I'm just – I'm not blown away. It feels, mm-hmm. it feels like a schedule that uh, – that Mark Offrey knew that he was going to have a younger team. I mean, he, he obviously knew that guys like Lehman and Diamond Stone and, uh, and Rashid Suleiman and those guys weren't going to be there, so he needed to bring his players along slowly. Um, you know, the rest of the non-conference schedule doesn't quite strike fear. St. Peter's, Jacksonville State, and Charlotte. <laughs> and, and Charlotte was awful, awful last season. Mm-hmm. I think they should beat them by 50. Um, but look, I, I don't think we'll know, um, and and I, I I agree with you. I think I think you have to be cautiously optimistic about Maryland. Um, I mean, they could be one of those teams that ends up potentially with twenty two or twenty three wins, and they have maybe three top fifty wins. So we'll have to see what happens mm-hmm. with Maryland. I'm not really sure. Yeah, one one final note I want to throw it on Maryland here. Uh, I don't want to rant about them too much, but in the season preview podcast I, I did with uh, Matt Ellentuck from DeCito Times, uh, one of the things I talked about a lot about was Maryland's schedule. And not only the non-conference schedule, which I think just about everyone agreed was pretty meh coming into this year, but their conference schedule, they by far got the most favorable conference schedule of, of any uh, – you know, potential contender, so to speak. Um, and I, I said that I think there is a scenario where that really bites them in the butt. And that's the fact that they don't have a lot of marquee games. You know, it, on the one hand, it's good because they should be able to rack up that win total. But if they blow any of these marquee games, it's going to be devastating to the RPI for them because so much of the schedule is against, frankly, mediocre competition. Now, we'll have to see. Obviously, we still have about a month left of non-conference play. And, you know, we don't know completely how the Big Ten is going to sort out. But I, I, would, I would just say as a note on Maryland, I know fans uh, will probably get some crap on Twitter and, and so on from Maryland fans saying they're a legit 9-1 and one and, you know, Ken Palm just hates them or whatever. But Ken Palm has them projected at 20-11 and 11 overall, 8-10 and 10 in conference play, which – in my opinion, is not even close to making the NCAA tournament. Because, again, as I said, that their strength of schedule will be so weak that it will turn that 20 wins probably into more like 17 or 18 um, in the committee's eyes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I would just throw that out there on, on Maryland as we go forward. But 
Um, to help us chat a little bit more, uh, we have Casey, one of our new writers on uh, for BT Powerhouse. Um, Casey, how's it going? Good, man. Thanks for having me on. Definitely. Yeah, excited to, excited to have you join us. Um, we're, we're rolling through the Big Ten here. I, I'm sure you heard a little bit of it. Um, we're sort of in the middle in, in kind of some of your takeaways so far. Uh, Casey, what, what's shout out to you about the middle of the Big Ten or, or even the bottom? Well, honestly, the bottom has probably been the biggest surprise so far this season. Uh, Rutgers, Illinois, Minnesota, Nebraska all look much better than last year. And Rutgers in particular is, you know, already has more wins than last season total. Yeah, definitely. Uh, That's another team I I wanted to hit on a little bit. Um, I, I, I will say two things on Rutgers. First, uh, people who are freaking out because Rutgers is eight and one, uh, on the one hand, totally reasonable because wow, Rutgers is eight and one, but, uh, their schedule has been completely terrible. Um, like ev- almost every team they played has been outside the top 200. Like half of them are outside the top 300 on Ken Palm. Uh, this is a very, very, very weak schedule. However, you know, as Casey just mentioned, uh, Rutgers only won seven games last year. So to already have eight wins, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, and, and their win against DePaul would have arguably been one of their best last year and maybe even better than any win Rutgers had la- during all of last season, especially since it came on the road. Um, Josh, you have, you have any thoughts here on uh, Rutgers? Uh, yeah, it feels very Marylandy again. Really weak start <laughs> to the schedule. Um, I'm I'm actually curious to see how they play against Stony Brook. Stony Brook was actually one of the best mid-majors in the country last year. They have to go to Stony Brook. Um, mm-hmm. And then two weeks later, they go to Seton Hall, which is in New Jersey. So it's not a, a far road game. But I think the Pirates are always generally pretty good, and they get a decent crowd. So if they're able to win both of those games, I think I'll take Rutgers more seriously. If they don't, then I think it's just empty wins to start the season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's – you. Ha, if you're a Rutgers fan, you have to feel positive no matter what, just given the last couple of years. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to learn a lot about Rutgers here in the next couple of weeks. Um, they have some really challenging games, you know, a road game at Seton Hall, a road game against Wisconsin, road game against Stony Brook. So we'll get a lot better idea on if the Scarlet Knights – or at least how much they've improved. I think it's obvious they have improved, um, and, and we'll see just how much exactly. But – but, yeah, they, they certainly have to be a feel-good story. But the other team I wanted to hit on um, after I was rattling through Maryland for so long uh, was, yeah, Minnesota. Um, I, I feel like this is a very, very underrated team nationally. I don't feel like they're getting much appreciation, but Golden Gophers are now out to 8-1. and one. They have wins over three top 100 teams, arguably uh, two more top 130, 150-ish teams. Um that's a pretty solid resume. And, you know, similar to Rutgers, uh, they've already won eight games this year. They won eight games during all of last season. Um, I, I think this Minnesota team is legit. I, and when I say legit, I don't mean I think they're going to win the Big Ten or something, but I think this is real. I think they've played enough legit opponents. They played in, uh, on a neutral court. They played on the road. Um, I think this is a real team. Uh, Casey, uh, what do you think of uh, the Golden Gophers? Do you think they're for real? Yeah, I love Minnesota this year. And if you go back to last year even, they, they lost a lot of games, yeah. 
But they played the conference schedule tough. They most of their games were in single digits, and most, and against the biggest opponents, the Maryland's, Wisconsin, Indiana's, it was close games. Uh, so it was a disaster at the end of the season. They suspensions, and towards the end, they only had a few players, a few scholarship players playing. But they brought back some guys. Amir Coffey coming in this year. They have a nice core. Uh, Patino's in his fourth year. So, yeah, I'm I'm really big on Minnesota this year. Mm-hmm. Josh, what about you? What do you think of uh, the Gophers? Yeah, I mean, it, Casey hit on it. They they bring back a really nice core. Um, I think Patino is lucky not to have been fired up to this point. To be honest, if his last name wasn't Patino, I think he probably would have gotten the boot in Minneapolis, to be completely honest. Um, but he's done a great job this season. I mean, they have wins over Arkansas, Vanderbilt, St. John's. I mean, those are good wins. The last four games they have are all at home. They should be wins. So that'll, that'll could move them, should move them to 12 and 1 to start conference season. Um, and look, to be honest, for a team like Minnesota that really struggled, they're just looking for momentum. I think it's similar to Rutgers, um, just kind of building and trying to turn the program around because last year, with all the suspensions, was such an utter disaster. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one person I wanted to throw out, you know, we've we've mentioned him, but Amir Coffee has been awesome for Minnesota this year. Uh, in my opinion, he's the front runner for Big Ten Freshman of the Year, especially with the injury uh, to Miles Bridges, uh, putting him out for a couple games. Um, which, you know, fair or not, it, it's reality that affects you in these award uh, competitions. But I, I really like Coffee. Um, I, I think he's doing a great job um, for the Gophers, and and I really I really like the direction. Uh, this team and, and frankly, the program ha- has really turned around. Um, but uh, I did want to, uh, we do have a couple other teams I wanted to hit on before we, we jump off. Uh, you know, we got the big Iowa, Iowa state game tonight. So certainly we want to give our uh, listeners a chance to <laughs> watch that one. Um, but uh, two particular teams, uh, it looks like Adam isn't going to be able to make it. So, I, so I wanted to hit on the, the Michigan duo here. Um, both teams have kind of had their ups and downs to start the year. Michigan seven and two, Michigan State six and four. Both have, you know, had great wins. Both have underwhelmed at times. Um, Casey, let's start with you. What do you make of the Wolverines and the Spartans? And uh, you know, just from a rivalry aspect, I guess, who do you think's better? Uh, Michigan is better. Uh, Michigan State's record isn't looking very good, but that's just because they played like four top 25 teams, you know, it's a young team, they're struggling, but that's going to pay off later in the season. Uh, Michigan, I like their team. I wish they could have pulled that game out against Virginia Tech. That was a tough loss. Um, It was nice so far. They bounced back against Texas. Um, But Texas even, they're not as good as everyone thought. But uh, overall, yeah, Michigan, Michigan's a better team right now than Michigan State. Mm-hmm. Josh, what what are your thoughts? Um, I mean, Thomas, I'm I'm biased, so it's it's kind of hard for me to uh, <laughs> be totally impartial here. But yeah, I would say Michigan's a little bit better. Um, I I'm curious to see kind of how the uh, Spartans fare without uh, without Miles Bridges. But I mean, to be fair, they've had a really really tough schedule this year. They lost to Baylor who a lot of people think could potentially be a Final Four team. They lost to Duke with another piece, and, and, and Kentucky and Arizona. Um, I mean, all four of those teams 
are probably going to be playing to the second weekend, if not competing for a Final Four uh, in March. So, look, it, four and four is not great. It's not exactly the record that, that Michigan State was looking for up to this point. Um, but, you know, there's still a ton of basketball left to be played. And if Miles Bridges ends up being as good as advertising conference play, they can definitely turn it around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm kind of uh, I'm kind of with you both. I I think they're pretty close at this point, to be honest. Um, kind of with the thought, Michigan State's going to take steps forward in the coming weeks. Um, as far as far as uh, the Spartans go, yeah, I think the six and four record is pretty obvious that it's uh, just an effect of the schedule. You know, when you play Arizona, Kentucky, Baylor, Duke, St. John's, and Wichita State all the way from home. Uh, to come out of there with a two and four record isn't that bad, frankly. Um, they, the Miles Bridges injury is going to be significant, especially with, uh, you know, I, I saw someone mention this on, uh, I believe it was uh, Rothstein, but, uh, you know, Michigan State plays Northeastern and Oakland uh, at home to close non conference play. These are uh, later December games, sort of final exams, Christmas time type of games. Those are sleeper upset games without Miles Bridges because most expect him to be out the remainder of non-conference play. Uh, keep an eye on those. Oakland, that is a big in-state game. The Golden Grizzlies are always pumped up to play the Spartans. Um, that is a sleeper one. Do not be surprised if Oakland surprises and, and knocks off Michigan State. But, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think both teams are, are pretty good. I don't think either is elite or anything close right now. But, um, but yeah, jumping to Michigan, uh, I'm, I'm with you, Casey. I, I think that Virginia Tech loss was incredibly frustrating considering how much they were up. Um, and then the South Carolina loss as well, uh, just played horribly offensively. But, uh, Josh, what are, what are your thoughts on the Wolverines? Um, my biggest concern right now at Michigan is um, consistency scoring. Um, I never thought we'd be saying this, but the defense has actually looked really, really good up to this point in the season. I mean, even that loss to South Carolina, they only gave up 61 points, which as poorly as they played, they went like two for 40 on three, some awful number. Um, but they were in the game because their defense and free throws kept them in. Um, you know, I was looking at the box score of the Texas game, and you had – uh, Moritz Wagner, DJ Wilson, and Duncan Robinson were the three double-figure scorers, while Zach Irvin, uh, Derek Walton, and Muhammad Ali Abdurrahman combined for 13 points. So, you know, it's one of those things where how, you know, is it one of those teams where you might get double-digit scorers from Irvin and Walton when you might not? Um, and I think the biggest thing that I'd love to ask you is, is Moritz Wagner good enough to become, you know, a first or second all Big Ten performer? He's shown flashes of it. Um, his defense is getting better. He still doesn't commit as many fouls. Um, but his development, as long as, as well as C.J. Wilson, um, I've loved what Wilson has given Michigan this year in the starting lineup with his length and defense um, and just play around the basket. So, yeah, I'd love to hear what you think about Michigan going forward. Yeah, I, I have three big uh, thoughts concerns, whatever, whatever you want to refer to them as, uh, as far as Michigan goes. Um, the first is uh, Wagner, as you mentioned. Um, you know, Shaka Smart said this. Uh, I was at the game on, on Tuesday with Michigan-Texas. Uh, he said it, and I totally agreed. He was like, Wagner was the best player on the floor today. Um, I think when he really gets his game going, he's Michigan's best player. I think he's passed 
other guys on the roster. Um, and I, I think, frankly, he's the X factor. If he, if he plays well, Michigan's going to do well this year. If he struggles or regresses, um, I think it's going to be another so-so, if not mediocre season. Um, so I, I'd say that's point one. Point two, um, yeah, the offense has really got to get more consistency. Uh, you know, you mentioned that South Carolina game. I don't know if I've ever seen a John Beeline team perform that badly offensively. And, and frankly, you know, it's one thing to struggle against an elite defense or something. And I know South Carolina isn't terrible by any means. I, I'm not trying to make it out to be that. They're actually 8-0 on the season. But Michigan was just missing everything. You know, um, shot .07, they shot 7%, which is just horrendous um, for a Michigan team and to have that many shooters. But I think uh, I, I think you got to get that offensive consistent. Let's see. And I think the second point of that, which is my third point overall, is Michigan's got to find more from the bench. Uh, Walton, Irvin, Wilson are playing too many minutes. Um and it, it, it's really decreasing the efficiency. You know, we were – the thought process for Michigan was always coming into this year. The freshmen were going to make up the bench, bench production. They were going to be the difference because you could take Urban back from 35 minutes to 30 or 28 or something like that. Um, but the freshmen have eh, underwhelmed to an extent. Um, I don't want to, you know – get too crazy about it because I mean, they are freshmen and none of them were, you know, five stars or anything. But uh, I think that's going to be another key for Michigan. You know, the first is Wagner, but I think the second is you got to get more from the bench and particularly those freshmen, you know, Ibby Watson and Xavier Simpson have to produce. They got to hit the floor. Um, And frankly, they got to score because neither of them have done much of that this year, but uh, you see any, Oh, go ahead. I think that these not the UCLA game, which we can hit on for a second. I think Michigan could literally lose that game by 25 or 30 points. I think UCLA is I think they're the best team in the country, but we can talk about that after. Um, but I think the three games after that, I think you need to find minutes for Watson and um, Watson and uh, Simpson. I, I'm not even sure how many minutes they've played this year. It feels like. I think Simpson played three minutes in the Texas game, and, and Watson didn't play. Um, you know, and, and Michigan's had to go big as a result of it. They've had to play Irvin at the two, and then they'll play Robinson and Wilson and Wagner. Um, and so the backcourt guys, you know, uh, Muhammad Ali of Durak once done nothing. He was awful the last two games. Um, and it's really an issue when your bench, besides for your two forwards, uh, Robinson and Mark Donnell aren't doing anything. Um, so I, I don't know what Beeline can do. I think you can kind of tinker in the last three non-conference games, but, you know, you can't go to Iowa City for your first Big Ten game and play Ibby Watson for 15 minutes and have him do nothing. So I, I don't know what you're supposed to do in a situation like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, it, we'll see. You know, it's just going to be development. They got – they have – one of those two guys has has to be able to play real minutes. Um, because they'll get them on the floor here and there. But, I mean, they're playing, I think, uh, you know, Simpson over the last five games, uh, I'm just looking at Ken Palm right now, but has played 9% of team minutes. Watson's at five. Uh, those aren't serious backups. I mean, l- let's just be honest. They aren't um, when, they're, when they're playing that few of minutes. So it'll be interesting to see. And, 
as a side note, as far as that UCL game goes, I think the Bruins are just going to smash Michigan. We'll see. Um, and it'll be a real test of, of how Michigan's defense holds up because UCLA's offense is impressive. I, I will just say that. Um, but, uh, Casey, any, any thoughts here on the Wolverines? Uh, I was going to ask you what you thought the outcome would be of that UCLA game, but Josh touched on it. <laughs> yeah. If they can make it, if they can play competitive traveling all the way out to California, then it'll be a, a moral victory. You know, they don't mean a lot in the big 10, but if they can keep it close, it'll be, it'll be a plus for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, before before we end the podcast, uh, let's just—I just want to ask both of you: what what are you looking forward to over the next week or so of the Big Ten? Um, any anything, uh, any games or anything that uh, pops out to you guys? Oh, Casey, we'll start with you. Um, uh, yeah, well, Josh had touched on it before. Rutgers uh, playing Stony Brook, which is interesting because first year coach Steve Pickhill was the person who was the coach who, you know, built that program mm-hmm. up. So it's going to be, it's going to be a tough game traveling there, playing in that hostile environment. Um, you know, it could be a, a first real test for, for Rutgers. <laughs> um, yeah, Josh, uh, any, any thoughts here? Yeah. Um, I want to see the Iowa, Iowa State game tonight starts in about 20 minutes. Um, you know, is this one of those games where Iowa competes and uh, Peter Jock's able to get going, or does Iowa just kind of roll over? Um, I think it could be very telling, not only uh, for the end of the non-conference, but heading into conference play as well. Um, I know they have a couple injuries, but it's one of those things where, you know, Iowa, I think they're at four and six right now. I mean, they just need wins. So tonight is a huge game both for the resume and for the morale of the Hawkeyes. I think that Rutgers game is going to be interesting as as well as that that Iowa game, that big rivalry game tonight. Um, yeah, there there isn't a ton that pops out to me at the moment. You know, the UCLA game will obviously interest me, um, but there are a couple other ones. You know, we haven't hit on, but uh, one game I'm I'm excited to watch for a variety of reasons is Nebraska goes to Kansas on Saturday, and that mm. is going to be brutal. Uh, so if the Cornhuskers can show up and play a decent game. That that should be interesting, but I that is a major challenge, and uh, <laughs> I'll be interested to see the outcome. Uh, the other is Penn State gets Pitt on Saturday, sort of a developing in-state rivalry, um, certainly on the football field where Pitt was partially responsible for keeping Penn State out of the college football playoff. But I uh, I digress. But uh, but yeah, so that that's on a neutral court on Saturday, um, and should be an interesting one uh, with the in-state flair. But uh, but Josh and Casey, uh, that's all I got for tonight. Uh, thanks for joining us, you guys. Yes, thank you, buddy. Yeah, <laughs> thanks, Thomas. <laughs> but uh, as a reminder, uh, Josh and Casey, they both write for BT Powerhouse. You can check out their stuff. I think they both have pretty recent articles up. But um, as always, I'm Thomas Bendit. You can check me out on Twitter at cbendit. You can check out BT Powerhouse on Twitter at BT Powerhouse. Um, make sure to check out our site over the next couple of days. A lot of great stuff. And As always, thanks again for listening to us.